Welcome to Daily Dose Danny. This is episode 28. Here we redefine our lives by following our dreams. We share stories from passionate women challenging the 9 to 5 lifestyle. If you can dream it, you can do it. Today I'm speaking with Virginia, founder of Humid with a Chance of Fishbowls. She is based here in Hong Kong and does food tours. She was recently featured on Netflix, South China Post and Lonely Planet, Time Out as well. She brings a fun spark to food tours and shares the fishy and sweet side of Hong Kong. Hi, Regina, and thanks for joining me on the show today. Please tell us a bit more about yourself. Hi, everybody, and thanks so much to Danny for having me on the podcast. So I run a company in Hong Kong called Humid with a Chance of Fishbowls. I like to say that if you like our name, you'll like us. So ultimately, I get people to eat through Hong Kong's culture, heritage, and traditions. And we usually do that in the form of a food tour experience or YouTube videos, or currently added to the mix are our private mahjong classes. Uh, Basically, I just want people to have fun with us. But at the same time, I want them to learn more about Hong Kong's culture and the stuff that my parents have told me about when they grew up in Hong Kong. Uh, people might call me the fishbowl girl now and you might have also seen me on Netflix so on the series on Netflix called restaurants on the edge in episode two the crew was in Hong Kong and I was the tour guide who brought the chef around Sam Chai Po to give him inspiration of the revamp of the new menu one thing super cool is that on the Netflix one thing super cool on the Netflix thumbnail is that on the actual episode um, it's actually me and the chef eating fish bowls. I'm not sure how that happened, but I made it happen. That's so funny. So tell us what is the obsession with the fish fish bowls? Because I personally would say I don't love fish bowls. <laughs> I've tried the ones in Korea. Um, I don't know how they compare with the ones here. How did the name get you um, and, or what got you inspired to to have the name that you have? So I think it's because I wanted a really fun and quirky name. So in my experience, or not experience, but for me, when I hear of tours, I initially thought about, you know, having the tour and being taken around by your history teacher. So I didn't want it to be boring. I wanted the ultimate thing was I wanted people to have fun, right? So I was like, what is a cool name that you can kind of feel like you're part of the secret club, the inside club? And so it's kind of basically a weather report, but it's also inspired by the movie Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, right? So it's really humid in Hong Kong and we love these things called fishbowls. But if you look at fishbowls, fishbowls can also... Um, be a really good icebreaker. You could then talk about why do we have fish bowls? Why is there a fishing village in Hong Kong? And then you can talk about the earliest clans of Hong Kong, the Puntis, the Hakkas, and the Tankas, which are called the boat dwellers, and basically also about the tenacity of the Hong Kong people. So they used maybe leftover uh So basically, they use leftover maybe fish that wasn't sold for the day or maybe scraps of fish along the bone. And then they make it into a paste. And how do they make it tasty? They get then, how do they make it tasty? They then make it into a bowl. They deep fry it and they put like curry sauce over it. And now that's basically our most iconic and favorite snack, which is fish balls on a stick. That's so interesting. So I I found out about, well, these fishy type sticks when I lived in Korea. 
Um, I would definitely need to come try the fish balls here with you. I don't think I've had them before. <laughs> all right, I'll take you to all my favorite places. Awesome. Um, so tell us a bit more about yourself. So you obviously were born in Hong Kong, I'm assuming. And did you live abroad? Did you travel a bit? Have you always been in Hong Kong? Tell us about a bit about your background story. Yeah, so, oh man, I'm kind of ancient if you compare me to, say, the Gen Z and Alphas, but I'm actually an 80s kid, and I'm actually born and raised in Vancouver, BC, so I'm Canadian-born Chinese, a CBC, so they call me, and my parents are from Hong Kong, which is why I can speak the language, so I'm also an only child, and I was born in kind of the age where there was no internet, I had no siblings to talk to, and my parents were very adamant about speaking only Cantonese at home, and they didn't have cable, so what happened was my grandma had the channel TVB in Canada, and she would VHS us the cassette, like the tapes for Chinese dramas, and those were the only things I got to watch while growing up which is why I can still speak Cantonese the language which I'm very grateful for uh, reading it was another whole nother story I learned Mandarin in school and so from there coming to Hong Kong I slowly kind of taught myself how to read from using the menus first so you memorize one character like chicken and then you memorize other characters around it and eventually all those characters will be able to be used in other scripts and other types of media. And that's how I slowly taught myself how to read. Um, so my upbringing was in Vancouver, BC. I was born and raised there. I went to school there. I went to university there and I graduated from Simon Fraser University. And I actually worked a couple of years in Vancouver as well. So I was educated in HR, human resources. And I worked in HR in Vancouver at a company called Arcteryx. There's a store in IFC, I believe, but they make really high-end Gore-Tex jackets for skiing. And also they started as a climbing company. So they made harnesses for climbers, rock climbing. Um, and from there, I think I was a little bit bored. I was in my 20s and it was like sex in the city. You know, I wanted somewhere where it was... Uh, you play hard, you work hard. My parents always told me that Vancouver was the best place to live in, but they had comparison, right? They lived in Hong Kong and then they moved to Vancouver, but I never had a comparison and I didn't do any exchange in university. So I was like, well, I want to move somewhere. I want to go where the city and the big lights and the action is. And so I had thought about New York and I thought about London because I was dating someone that was um, a British like posh guy at that time in London. And then I thought about Hong Kong. Uh, the British thing didn't pan out because it's really hard to get sponsorship for a visa, especially if you're quite junior in your HR career. New York was also similar. It was very hard to get a visa. So the easiest way was to go to Hong Kong because my parents are from here and I don't need a work visa to move to Hong Kong. And so it was kind of a spontaneous decision and I just said, I'm moving to Hong Kong. And my parents were like, okay. They thought I'd be back in a couple of years or so. And I just left and I landed in Hong Kong. I worked about four years in HR here in a couple of American banks uh, as a HR generalist. 
And then I had a bit of a hiatus. I was a little bit burnt out and I decided to take a break. But my parents were really worried about me because their single only daughter was in Hong Kong, far, far away from them. And they were really scared that I would do that thing where you sell all your belongings and travel the world and just be a travel vlogger. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but my parents were very scared I would do that. And so I was like, oh, no, I'm going to stay in Hong Kong. And I just said, oh, I'm going to run tours. I had just come back from Europe and uh, walking tours, free walking tours to be exact, was all the rage there. And I just I just said, I'm going to run tours. And they were a little bit more comforted in the fact that I was going to do something with my time and that I wasn't going to like roam the world. So that's kind of how it started my tour journey and the company Humid with a Chance of Fishbowls. That's so exciting. That's that's an amazing story. Thank you so much for sharing. I guess that explains your passion for Hong Kong because you sort of came here as a tourist, but you could speak the local language having lived abroad. I don't find myself as a tourist, actually, but what I find myself is my parents would tell me all these cool stories and watching TVB shows. TVB is like the Cantonese channel in Hong Kong having watched all these dramas I wanted to explore my motherland and I wanted to explore what my parents would tell me about how my dad told me that coca-cola back in his day was only like five cents or something and they would call it which means uh, Westerner water. And so I wanted to explore all these fun things. He would tell me about how Coca-Cola was in a glass bottle and not in an aluminum can. Or he would tell me about going to eat noodles that were made from a bamboo rod and things like that. And I wanted to explore it. And I think that really helps with the tour guiding because whatever I find quirky or weird that's different from what I'm used to, I like to share those with my customers either on a tour, food experience, or YouTube video, because it's different to what I was brought up with in North America. So I kind of find it, I guess, a blessing that I am a Canadian born Chinese. So I know what's kind of, so I know what's kind of like interesting or what I find funny, I can share with my friends too. Got it. That's so great. Such an amazing story. Um, so tell me a bit more. You sort of touched base on it, but tell us more about the defining moments that shifted you on your journey to find your creative voice and your passion to starting your own business. I think it goes really, really back. So as as a young kid, with a lot of time on their hands because in Vancouver it's it's not as exciting as as Hong Kong it's a little bit more slow paced uh, my mom put me in Chinese dance so I was always doing like fan dances and that was kind of like I was a little bit more rooted to my Chinese heritage and so another thing was when I was in HR I was in charge of the HR newsletter and so that gave me a lot of joy and I realized that I really liked writing but I really liked the creative aspect of making something my own having creative authority over what was going to be put in the newsletter and things like that I realized that I like to be a little bit more creative and so I think up until you know, four years ago when I started this company that I really realized that maybe I wanted to be more creative, but have that as like a full-time career. So that's when I came out and did my own thing and started Humid with a Chance of Fishbowls was then I realized that I just really wanted to have a creative outlet, like a passion project almost. 
And so that's when I started the food tour company. And I think another defining moment was when we first started, it was um, a walking, a free walking tour company. And what that really is basically is um, people just pay you uh, as a tip, like a tip basis of what they think it's worth. So basically that business model was much more based on quantity versus quality. And so I was like, oh, maybe it's not what I imagined myself in. I wanted to teach more people about the culture and I wanted to be at a, maybe like a smaller group based setting. So I actually I was talking to my friend in Vancouver um, and he's like a funny friend. He's always stoned, but I'm not going to mention who he is. Um, but he was like, I was telling him, I'm like, I want people to learn about the culture in Hong Kong that my parents have told me about. And he's like, oh, well, why don't you just do food tours? He's like, everything about like the culture here is food. Everything evolves food. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're so right. And that was kind of like, oh, okay. So that was like my defining moment that he kind of put on the light bulb for me or turned on the light for me. I'm like, oh, yeah, I like to eat too. So why don't we just do food tours? So then we actually pivoted from a free walking tour company to a food tour company. And then I think starting the food tour was amazing. And I thought that we really had the ball rolling because in 2019, uh, a lot of big things happened to us. We were on Netflix. I got to guide around and be a local fixer for a couple of YouTubers. Um, one of them was Mike Chen from Strictly Dumpling, who has about 3 million subscribers. Another, another one was Sunny from the Best Ever Food Review Show, and he has about 5 to 6 million subscribers now. And so I was like, oh, 2019 is our year. But... As we all know, we had protests and then we had COVID. And so that kind of put the damper on everything. And so kind of like my next defining moment, which I'm still trying to define and, and, and which I'm still trying to define right now is the unknown where, where are we going to go from here on? What's the new normal going to look like? And so what I've done now is I've pivoted more to YouTube. I find that I really like the platform YouTube. I find that I really like being on videos and being able to still teach people from all over the world all about Hong Kong and learning how to have that online presence. So when you're on YouTube, uh, you have to be really energetic. I'm already a very energetic person, but on YouTube, I find that you have to be even more energetic. And also, I, funny enough, really embarrassing, but I have to learn or video myself and practice how to eat in front of the camera. Uh, you have to make, I feel like, expressions really quickly and formal opinion really quickly. And so I'm not comfortable doing that yet. So I have to practice these things. And so I think that's kind of like my next stage right now is I really want to make YouTube one of my main streams of income. And so I'm kind of learning how to do that at the same time, trying to see how the YouTube and the private Mahjong classes all are encompassing of the brand that is humid with a chance of fish balls. That's so amazing. I think it's exciting that you're you're trying to shift everything obviously online as the rest of the world is doing this year. Um, so or the the last year or so with COVID. And um, you know, I think there's definitely a way that you can translate what you're doing um, on that digital platform. But yeah, not always easy for sure. Yeah, I think it's also because you don't really know what the, the future holds, right? You don't know if tourism is going to come back. And if it is, 
is food tourism going to come back? And also, I think Hong Kong from other parts of the world might be seen as very, very similar, if not the one and the same with China. And now we're starting to get a lot of negativity on our posts about wet markets because of the Wuhan wet market, which also had an exotic animal black market, which I think people don't understand, whereas wet markets in Hong Kong is just literally the daily place where people buy to buy their groceries. So I feel like there's more education needed as well. So uh, the future of what I'm doing now, I guess, is a little bit more unknown and a little bit more volatile. And so for me, it's always figuring out, oh, I re I'm really passionate about this and I want to see if I can make this sustainable and happen. But at the same time, it's like, I need to make it sustainable. I need to make sure that I can also pay my bills. And that's the reality of it. So uh, trying to move it online on YouTube or other streams of income is currently what I'm doing to see if I can make this basically sustainable for the future. Yeah, I think that's a lot of a lot of people's struggle right now is is to see how you can sort of maintain what you're doing and, and build it up, but keeping in mind that we don't know if things are going to get back to normal or not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so tell me, you mentioned you did a few fun tours with a few famous people. Um, what has been some of your most favorite uh, food guides um, or food tours that you've done and with whom? Yeah, so I think obviously the first one that I that comes to mind, I think the first one that comes to mind is obviously the Netflix one. I didn't know that it would actually really happen. And the reason why was because when they reached out to me, it was because they didn't have a restaurant. So it was actually the casting producer that had reached out. And the first part of my responsibility was literally cold calling or warm calling a bunch of restaurants and their Excel list asking them if they would be interested. So a lot of my work actually happened behind the scenes with casting of the restaurant. Then because a lot of the restaurant owners, they were more comfortable with Cantonese. So I helped do the screening interviews that would then be passed on to senior management for them to pick the final finalists. Uh, and so a lot of my my involvement was actually behind the scenes. But one thing that the casting producer did was she was like, you've been amazing help. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pass you on to the story writer now. There's no guarantees whether or not you'll get screen time, but have a chat with him and see how you could make yourself of use. And so he was then picking my brain and I was telling him what I thought was Hong Kong culture. And I kind of, they called them story beats and I was helping him maybe give him inspiration for some story beats like he was like oh i want something really old school like what are you thinking of and we're trying to like bounce ideas off of each other i was like oh how about a old school bakery and he's like oh that seems cool and so that's how the bakery story beat was added into it and then another one that i did obviously was i tried to like put my foot in the door was I was like oh how about a food tour I'm like how about bring the chef around to a really cool area of Hong Kong that has like all the lights and glamour and action that is very kind of like Hollywood Hollywood-esque and I'm like doing a food tour around there to give him inspiration for the new menu he's going to build up and the writer actually took that idea and he's like oh yeah I really like it 
And so he let me run with that. And I was able then to put a couple of food locations. And that is the food tour that you see on that show. So I'm really proud of that because had I not spoken up for myself or had I not pitched that to him, that might never have happened. And I might not have been on screen. I might have helped out behind the screens, but you might not have seen me on the screen. So um, that was one of the, the cooler accomplishments of my career. Another one I thought was really funny was, or not really funny, another one that I think is really memorable was that I took a Michelin-starred chef, a soba noodle chef around on a private food tour. And I got to then coordinate with him. Then I got to coordinate with the one-ton noodle shop. So then the Michelin-starred soba noodle chef could watch a master make bamboo one-ton noodles. And so I thought that that was a very memorable tour. And I remember taking a, a, a photo with him and being like, oh my goodness, I just took a Michelin-starred chef on a food tour. That is so amazing. That's so special. I think it's so great you've been able to help these local businesses get some exposure and visibility. Um, but as well, speak up for yourself and have the confidence to to know what you're doing is great and just getting your foot in the door and being able to get the exposure you have with Netflix is really amazing. Oh, actually, and one more comes to mind just now. And the reason why it comes to mind is because most of the interviews and most of the food tours that I do are all in English. But there was one that was on the Chinese channel and it was and it was with a Chinese celebrity. His name is Jason Chan. And the whole entire food tour was actually in Cantonese. And that made me so, so, so nervous. The producer wanted me to showcase a part that's not normally visited. And for me, I call myself the Wampoa ambassador. Our signature food tour is based around Wampoa. And I lived at Wampoa for about four years. And so I was like, I want to do Wampoa. So I brought over two Chinese or Cantonese Hong Kong celebrities celebrities to Wang Pawa, eating the food there, showing them the last female mahjong carver there. And the whole thing was done in Cantonese. I was really nervous, but the two Hong Kong celebrities were really nice. And they're like, if there's anything you don't know how to say, we can translate for you. And they really put me at ease. And so that was also a very memorable experience. Oh, that's so exciting. So could you tell us what is some of your top three local restaurants that you would personally go to whether you're working or not are they um oh this is a hard one but can i just ask you are these franchises or is it just like like a one one-off mom and pop shop it could be anything you like Okay, so the first one that comes to mind, and it's basically a franchise now, and it's everywhere now, but I discovered it about seven years ago when I first moved to Hong Kong, and it's called Tam Zai. I call it Mr. Tam's in English, but it's really not. It's called Tam Zai Sam Go. And basically, they do rice vermicelli noodles, and they have, I like to have the sweet, no, I like to have the spicy and sour broth. And then my favorite toppings are going to be the fungus, the chicken, and then the tofu puff. And then I always get a side of the black 
ear, no, what is it called? The wood ear fungus in chili oil. So usually this place is so popular that when you go down, you don't normally get a menu because everybody kind of knows their order and everybody sticks to their own order and they always order the same thing. So this is one of my favorite things that I think I could literally eat every single day is Tamzai, but it is a franchise now. And where are they located? They're located basically everywhere. So if you just pull up, if you just use open rice and pull up, it's Tam Zai Tam as like T A M Zai as in J A I. It has like green writing on it, and then the bags are yellow for takeout. Um, and basically, it's kind of like the place that everybody likes to go to to get my scene, which are rice vermicelli noodles. Okay, I'll have to try that out. And what's your number two? Number two would have to be obviously I would have to throw a curry fish ball in there. So my favorite and the one that kind of gave me inspiration to come out and do my own thing basically, because sometimes I would have two skewers of fish balls for dinner and and that be it. Would be where I was living in Mong Kok. So it's right out of. Exit A2 of Yelma Tay Station on the right hand side. There's going to be two stores that look exactly the same. They are basically exactly the same, but they sell skewered curry fish bowls. When I started going there about seven years ago, I think it was only five to six dollars for maybe five to six fish bowls. But now I think they've upped it to about ten dollars or so because of inflation. But that's my second kind of recommended is you got to try the fish bowls there. Fish bowls, I would say, is not everybody's cup of tea. It's also a texture thing. If you don't like that kind of texture,、um, and also if you're not used to fish, you might find it really fishy. But I think it's a very, it's a very iconic snack in Hong Kong that you should at least try at least once or twice in your lifetime. For sure, I'll definitely give it a, another try. Because <laughs> I know I initially didn't like them, but if you if you recommend that spot, I'll for sure go check it out. And then, what is your number three favorite? My number three favorite, which I think is just the cuisine itself, but not not particularly on any restaurant because there's so many to choose from. High end, old school, you know, fancy, funny is dim sum. I think that you need to really come to Hong Kong and try dim sum. If you want something funny with cartoon characters, you can try yum cha or social place.、Um, if you want something that's super Old school, you can try like Lin Hung Tea House, where we used to run a dim sum food tour there. And the reason why I like it is because it's been here ever since the early 1900s. They still do trolley service there, and the service is—I think it's a lot better now. But before it was like crazy, and it's really hard to get a seat, and you have to go in and fight for your own seat and look for your own dim sum. But because I've been there so often, I've built a rapport with. The staff there, so it almost feels like family when I go in. So it's really nice there because it looks very old-fashioned as well.、Um, obviously, it's not going to be like pristine, clean, but the food there is, I would say, very nostalgic to what people remember dim sum being. Another one is the obviously the Michelin-starred one, Tim Ho Wan. If you go to Tim Ho Wan, you have to get their barbecue pork buns. And there's another one all the way in Chunwan, where it's like at a village house where they serve tofu pudding in a bucket, and you have to go and grab your own tea, put in your own tea leaves, and put your hot water in. And so that's kind of very, very local and down to earth.、Uh, 
Um, so you have to try dim sum somewhere in Hong Kong, and depending on what you like, you can try a different restaurant. Interesting. Okay, so I've had dim sum at Duddles. <laughs> what is your opinion on that? It's cool, <laughs> but I would say that it's probably more on the high end version, um, and you can try maybe a lower end version, a more local version of it. I would 100% like to. I think the local mom and pop shops are normally the best. I just don't always know where to go. But after this podcast, I definitely know what to check out. So maybe check out the one Lin Heung Tea House. It's actually within Central. So you're not going very far from Duddles anyways. It's on Wellington and Aberdeen. So I think that might, that one might be more convenient to you. But also once you are comfortable with that, make sure you go over to the dark side. So for those that are left, for those that are listening, not in Hong Kong, they call everything across Victoria Harbor um, away from Hong Kong Island. So the Kowloon in the new territories, the expats call it the dark side. So go to the dark side for dim sum once you're comfortable. For sure. I think that's the one thing after moving from Korea to Hong Kong. I've become so lazy because everything is five minutes away. So <laughs> going to the dark side and taking a ferry and then walking feels super far, but it's actually just like 30 minutes or less. So <laughs> it's definitely one of the traits of having moved to Hong Kong. <laughs> Perfect. So um, on to the next question is obviously there's some up and down moments when you start your own business. What were some of you found most challenging while starting this business of yours oh that's a hard one I think the first thing that comes to mind is not doing enough market research I knew that I wanted to do something and so I had started tutoring about six months before I knew that I was gonna leave my full-time corporate job, but not doing enough market research in what I wanted to do. So when I started the free walking tour company, it was probably one of the first three in Hong Kong. In Europe, it's crazy. There's like 30 people for tour and each tour will leave every 30 minutes. So uh, when it's a free walking tour, it's really honestly based on a quantity model, right? Because everybody will only pay you about five to 10 euros. It's really based on quantity. But in Hong Kong, I then realized when I first started it that a lot of our travelers are from mainland Chinese. So they speak Mandarin, but we offer tours in English. So another thing was the hostels wouldn't help. The concept was too novel for them. So they thought it was basically like a scam. So they weren't promoting us. They weren't really helping us in any way. Um, and also free walking tours, like I said, work on a quantity model because it's a tip base. So if you're only getting 50 Hong Kong dollars per person, you need, you know, 30 people or more. And I think because of that, it's also less in quality, right? It's like, what you pay is what you get, right? So you can blow their minds away with a little bit of quality, but ultimately it's, it's really focused on quantity, right? But at the end of the day, um, I wanted the tours to be smaller in size so I could speak to everybody, but I wanted them to be more focused on quality. And so that's, you know, that's when I had my talk with my friend, like I said, who then gave me inspiration of starting a food tour company. And I was like, oh, yeah, why don't I do food experiences instead? And I was like, okay, I'm like, I like to eat too. So I could like then eat for work. And, you know, it seems like really fun. So that's how I kind of pivoted to doing a food tour 
company. So I think doing enough market research to know what you do works, etc., is very, very important. Um, and then I think another challenge I had, oh, actually to add on to that as well, I think that food tours work for us. Um, I think food tours really worked for me was because I'm a bit of a perfectionist when it comes to creating tours. It takes me honestly forever to perfect one of our public tours. So our public tours are basically tours that have a set itinerary and route, like our signature Wampoa street food tour. It took me like eight months to perfect the tour. So it makes sense now for me to charge a little bit more because I want to focus more on quality. And I can honestly say that every little thing that we put in that tour is for you to learn more about Hong Kong and the culture or that it's really fun. And because I'm a person that likes a lot of variety over quantity, so I like to go to at least five to eight food stops so you get a lot of variety. So all the effort we put into these food tours to build rapport with the vendors, I really believe that now that the free walking tour model wasn't for us and the food tour model is totally much of a better fit for, for me and my personality. Now, I think another challenge that I had, and I think this is going to be a no-brainer, is the pandemic, right? Um, I think we've touched on this already. Tourism is pretty much dead and in Hong Kong and also in all other parts of the world. And also, the worst part, I think, would be that Hong Kong is seen very much similar to China. And so with the Wuhan wet market, like I said, I've gotten a lot of negative press on my wet market post and I'm thinking of maybe doing some learning or some informative videos on YouTube to show what people to show people what a wet market is but I think that it's really hard to know what the new normal for food tourism will be for the future um, but this is my passion right to show off Hong Kong the culture and the food so then I think we've talked about this as well my pivot was I had to move this online um, I had to move it onto YouTube the only thing was, um, you know, it still needs to pay bills and YouTube is a very kind of like long term thing. It doesn't pay right now, but hopefully three to five years from now, it'll be um, what I hope or aspire would be one of my full time mainstreams of income. That's what I really want to do. I've just realized that YouTube is something I'm very passionate about and I, I just really like that platform. Now, also other things that I've looked at doing or have tried doing during this time is I ran an Airbnb experience online teaching people all over the world how to make egg tarts. And that was really fun, but because it was heavily based on US clients, so I had to make egg tarts either really late at night, like 2 to 3 a.m. or really early in the morning, like 6 to 7 a.m. So that was something that I realized wasn't really going to work and or it wasn't going to be sustainable. And then another opportunity that kind of came to very fortunately was then a very near and dear client of mine who follows me on Instagram, which is, by the way, I like fishballs. So it's I like fishballs with the plural asked if I could teach her mahjong. She had wanted to support me in any way that she could. And she apparently thought I was qualified to teach her mahjong because she had seen me playing all the time on my Instagram stories. And so I was like, yeah, of course, I'll teach you. And so I wrote up these guides and then I taught her and she loved it. And since then, that was September of last year, I've taught over like 80 courses or so. And all of that has honestly been through word of mouth. I haven't really advertised on our website purely because I feel like from 
a branding standpoint is not really food related. So I've kind of kept it on the down low. Um, but I've been very, very grateful for her for believing in me. And that has kind of snowballed into another product that we have added to our, our mix of things on Humid with a Chance of Fish Balls. That's great. So excited to hear that you learned all these amazing lessons and you were able to find support um, locally as well and expand the business to, to different experiences. So tell us more about the types of experiences that you currently are offering. So the ones that I'm currently trying to focus on is basically the first one is, um, as we've spoken about, the mahjong, so private classes. Um, I've taught over about 80 courses to date, so roughly over 300 people, because you need four people to play mahjong. Um, within the past, I would say, eight to nine months, and I would love to continue this, as like honestly, mahjong is my most favorite game, and it brings me such joy to hear my students go, sick woo, woohoo. Sick woo means to eat kanji, but it also means like to win when you mahjong. Um, or when they send me photos of their hands for me to ask me how to score them so I still know that they're practicing and they're still playing this game that I never learned, but it's kind of like a generation thing, right? Um, my mom used to play it all the time, really late into the night. I used to sit there and have to wait for her. So they would entertain you by getting you to do some tasks for them, like call out Pong or something like that. And it's like a rite of passage that somewhere down the line when you're nine or 10, you're allowed to like sit at the mahjong table, your grandma and auntie's looking at you and someone's behind your shoulder instructing you what to throw out and eventually as you get older you want to impress them you want to kick their butt right so you learn you sit there and you're like trying to learn how they score it and how they play it but no one really teaches you but that's how we learn right so I'm really excited to like teach this to other people um, and to make mahjong way more widespread and way more popular than it it already is now the second thing that I've been really focused on right now it's like my my passion is is YouTube, but it is such a hard path, I would say. It's um, it's definitely, it's like Mahjong, it's definitely not a sprint, it's a marathon. Uh, getting to 10,000 has been a very long journey. I'm currently at like 8,700. If you're interested in supporting me and learning more about Hong Kong culture through videos, then you can check out my YouTube channel. It is Humid with a Chance of Fishbowls, same name as the company, or you could type Virginia, Fishball, Hong Kong, or something like that, and will probably still pop up. Um, but it's something I absolutely, but it's something I absolutely enjoy doing, and it's also enabled me to continue my objective of showing people all over the world about the Hong Kong that my parents have told me about, like the Hong Kong that I find really interesting. So, kind of like how to bore more kind of like how to borrow money at the Gunyam Temple. You know, what is villain hitting or hey, I'm going to a durian buffet, it costs 100 USD. Uh, what does that look like? I mean, that's purely for entertainment. So we do a mixture of entertainment and informative videos, but it's just for you to see what Hong Kong kind of looks like in my eyes. That's so great. I know so many friends that are actually taking mahjong classes. So this is something on my to-do list. I'll definitely have to see what you guys offer. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so Virginia, let's wrap up with a sentence finisher. Number one book I always recommend. The One Page Marketing Plan by Alan Dibb. 
Best financial advice I ever received. Joining the WhatsApp group called Girls Just Wanna Have Funds. The best decision I ever made. Mm, moving to Hong Kong. I will always be the most excited about. Oh, no brainer. Food. There we go. Awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> and then lastly, is there anything you want to wrap up with before we wrap up the podcast? So Virginia, where can our listeners find more, find out more about you and what you offer? Perfect. So for us on YouTube, we are humid with a chance of fishbowls. Also, our company website is humid with a chance of fishbowls.com. For Instagram, slightly different. It's I like fishbowls. Awesome. Thank you so much. So everyone who's listening, I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did. Please go check out Virginia's channels follow her like her comment and go check out her tours and ask her all about fish bowls and anything else you want to know in hong kong thank you so much virginia for joining us today thank you so much danny for having me i'm excited to take you out for fish bowls thanks for sharing your startup story and defining moments virginia i hope you were as inspired as i was by her self-discovery and food journey of her cultural heritage it's amazing recommendations as well for small mom and pop shops to check out here in Hong Kong if you're here. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Daily Dose Danny or Facebook at Daily Dose Danny, or you can sign up to my website where I give you some freebies.